we're talking District 87, Jeff Shipley and Joe Mitchell, two excellent, hardworking candidates, uh, asking you to vote in the poll. Uh, thanks for listening. Welcome back to Round Guy Radio. It's your host, Mr. Southeast Iowa, Dave Johnson, and I've got a great episode for you today as we continue our coverage of the uh, the Republican head uh, primaries and the Democrat primaries. That we have a Republican candidate with us today. He was on the ballot in uh, June seventh, I believe. His name is Jeff Shipley. He's running for a House seat, a newly formed House seat. Welcome, to the program, Jeff. Hey, Dave. Great to be with you this morning. So, tell me a little bit about the House district that you that you were in and how it's new now. Yeah, so right now I represent Davis, Van Buren, and most of Jefferson County um, in the current District 82. I'm running to be the Republican state representative for the new District 87, uh, which is Van Buren County, uh, most of Jefferson County, all of the city of Fairfield, and then it extends east over to Mount Pleasant and Salem. So that's a, that's kind of a new and interesting uh, district. Uh, so tell me about... Uh... Tell me a little bit about your your time as a as a state rep and what what's been important to you. Oh my goodness! Well, these last four years have been tremendous. Uh, serving the people of Iowa is a great honor, but honestly, I never thought it would be so challenging. So clearly, the biggest thing that defined our life over the last couple of years has been the COVID uh, pandemic, and I think that's where I have been able to um, get out of front on a lot of issues. So, I mean, we were talking against vaccine mandates in June of 2020. And I remember uh, my previous Democrat opponent trying to tell people that, oh, dem- vaccine mandates aren't, aren't going to be an issue. And then less than a year later, the federal government has all these crazy mandates. Uh, so last summer, we spent a lot of time protesting with nurses outside and doctors outside of hospitals. I've been very thankful to learn about uh, the civil rights laws and making sure, um, you know, people are protected in their exemptions. I'd say one of the Proud, not well, most meaningful moments of my service has been almost a year ago, uh, being by Governor Reynolds' side a few minutes after midnight when she signed the law that ended mask mandates in school children. And I just remember the people of Iowa celebrating. I remember all the wonderful messages we got from teachers. I mean, it's literally a bill that the governor signed and it created smiles on children's faces. That's how powerful of an act it was. And I was a little bit sad. It took it took that long because it, it was towards the end of May. Um, I was on the Iowa House floor talking about that issue as early as February and, and before because the idea of making a child wear masks, you know, for eight hours a day or whatever, I think we're seeing now caused a lot of harm. And we really need to acknowledge um, of that and really make sure it never happens again. But so those have been some of the things have been really the highlights have been on the medical freedom front. Uh, the vaccine exemption bill. Um, again, we waited until the very last minute to protect employers' rights where um, I was on the House floor in April of 2021, again, just warning these vaccine mandates and saying we need to put a stop to this. Um, so that's a little bit of what I've been working on for you as your state representative. Uh, give our listeners a, a, the, the social media sites, or maybe a website or any campaign yeah, that, sure. sites that they can go to to follow you. So www.protectfreedom iowa.com and then uh, that's the new that's the new handle is we're shifting everything onto the protect freedom committee so protectfreedomiowa.com right now our facebook handle is still facebook.com slash peace love iowa um you know before we thought we wanted to live in this peace and love environment that was before the democrats uh waged war on us and, and are trying to unleash holy hell on ourselves and our families so now we're really shifting to the protect freedom iowa committee uh, but yeah find us on facebook jeff shipley uh, jeff shipley on twitter and uh, we do a lot online, so please stay in touch with us that way. 
Well, well uh, you have been a champion for freedom. You were a champion for freedom when it wasn't popular. You were a champion for freedom now that it seems to be getting more popular. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, freedom issues in in Iowa, in the states, in the in the country, and the, the two parties seem to look at that very, very differently. Uh, uh, so tell tell us why why you want to be on the side of freedom. Well, so I think freedom uh, for a lot of reasons. I think you know. Um, Oh, I can't remember the the Bible verse, but, you know, basically God meant us to live in liberty. And when we are free human beings and we have the freedom um, to, you know, pursue life's meaning and create and achieve our dreams and provide for our families, freedom just provides the beauty of life that cannot happen under a more constrained system. So and freedom also leads to the most peaceful, harmonious interactions. And this is the big thing. There's a lot of complicated issues out there. Um, I mean, Roe versus Wade, we don't have to get into that in this podcast, but there's a lot of things that are, are tearing society apart and we need the freedom to agree to disagree because when you can agree to disagree, you can get along well with someone like, okay, um, maybe you're a kid and you don't want to wear a mask because of a medical or religious reason. So we'll agree to disagree and you cannot wear a mask and I'll wear a mask and we'll each live in freedom and we'll do the best we can. The problem is when, is when you say, no, you have to wear the mask and it's mandatory, you know, then it makes it really hard to get along with someone and it kind of makes life suck. Well, I have to agree with that. There's been a, a lot of government rules that made life suck for the last couple of years. Government and non-governmental. There's been a lot of actors complicit. I mean, anyway, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but even our local Fairfield Public Library Board has been an absolute disaster in handling this stuff. Well, let's talk about, uh, you brought up the Roe versus Wade, and, and I, I, I talked to some of, not this particular issue with the uh, county attorney in Fairfield, but let's talk about, you know, protests, and a lot of protests maybe intend to be peaceful or start out being peaceful, and then sometimes they switch over to where they're not peaceful. And then let's talk particularly about, I mean, you have the right to protest and I, in the public square. I don't have any problem with that. But when you break into a Catholic mass, you steal oh, yeah. the Eucharist, you defame the, the church, or you go to a, a person's house, much less a judge's house. I mean, it is not legal to intimidate a judge or a juror or a county attorney or a witness. And I, I just do not... Uh, I don't support any of that. What, what's your thoughts on those? So, Dave, I would say the biggest, well, sorry, one of the biggest threats to freedom today is the woke mob. And these are our fellow human beings that maybe they didn't get enough love as children. Maybe they didn't get the right path in education. Uh, maybe someone broke their heart or maybe something really bad or sad happened to them. But there's this woke mob mentality that feels that they have the right to make other people suffer and feel the same pain that they do. So all these people who are advocating uh, that the killing of babies is like the most sacred thing or the most important thing to them, these are not these are not people who are really feeling great about life. I mean, there's a lot of sadness out there. So the way I see it is there's a lot of pain in broken people, and they like to project that pain on others. Now, part of this is if you you know, poverty is a generational problem, and this is the big thing with government is. Ever since Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society, the federal government, state governments have been spending billions and billions of dollars year after year after year for, you know, helping hand or poverty, welfare, all that stuff. We've gone on for decades and decades. The problem's getting worse. 
It's been generational. We've taught people how to abuse the system. We've taught people how to be dependent on the system. The system was designed to, to, to get that, to break up families, keep people dependent. So these are big, big problems. And once you're like a third generation, someone on this, and if you have nothing in life, like, anyway, I'm just trying to not condone, but understand the psychology of what would compel someone. Um, so it's absolutely absurd. Uh, violence must be denounced at all times. I'm a firm believer in property rights, obviously desecrating churches. Again, these people are sick. Well, there's a special law for that. The law actually uh, is it for protecting entrances to abortion clinics, but that also covers entrances into churches and stopping people from practicing their religion. That's another freedom that just seems to be under assault. Well, I, I say that the use of protesters, well, it's interesting. Um, there's a lot of freedoms that are under assault. Obviously, we need to protect everyone's freedom of speech. The interesting thing you brought up is this kind of concept of a blockade or like, okay, I'm not going to let someone pass the road. So when Trump got elected in uh, 2016 and a bunch of those idiots ran out across I-80, like that's to me basically an act of war. If you're trying to shut down a road, a highway, or God forbid, an interstate, you're going to get yourself killed, one, because you're an idiot, but also like you know, there's never any kind of tolerance for that. Uh, if you want to peacefully demonstrate on sidewalks, um, on the abortion scenario, I mean, I do think the 40 days for life thing is very powerful that if people, you know, have to walk by people that are praying for them and offering to support their kid, it's going to make it very difficult to have the abortion procedure. Um, but I don't think, I, I think you do cross the line if you are blocking an entrance um, to a facility. And then, yeah, I mean, basically these people are knuckleheads. Um, it's this entitlement mindset. Uh, these people have no work ethic. They don't have anything for themselves. So they want to tear down others. That's the kind of psychological phenomenon. We have a lot of broken and deranged people, and they're being encouraged by the radical, woke, leftist media and their allies in public education. Let me uh, talk one more, I guess, national issue, because this is a really serious problem. I mean, with the supply chain problems that Correct. it seems like the government has absolutely no solutions for and it doesn't seem necessary that it would stay like this for two years but we got a baby formula shortage parents cannot get formula for their babies or babies are going to bed hungry is that happening in iowa and is there any response to it yes uh there are shortages everywhere baby formula is just the latest thing we've been hearing about obviously you know prices going up is a form of shortages too so uh you have there's a lot of complicated problems um, just to pick one off. So again, a lot of people in America have think, oh, we're somehow beyond COVID. And this is a mentality I'm trying to really not encourage. I think COVID's likely to come back in probably a big way. And in many places, the world still is an issue. So in China right now, Shanghai had a very devastating lockdown. Um, thankfully, some videos were able to get out so the world could find out what was going on over there. But again, information to get out from communist China is very uh, tight. So God knows what was going on in Shanghai, but we do know that their port and their port system is, you know, a generation better than ours with their automation and their robots and stuff. But there was a gigantic backlog of ships all up and down the coast. And it's basically government imposed lunacy. So you have certain and really, the government is the only institution that could ever get away with something where they take these policy actions. They say they're doing it in the name of health, but they're causing immense economic harm and really disrupting just the overall flow of life. So that's just one thing that's still been ongoing in China. 
um, that affects these issues. I think the baby formula, I know there was a recall. I don't know all the details contributing to that one. I think the biggest thing economically is, is this inflation crunch. And I hate, I don't ever want to be the bearer of bad news because being the bearer of bad news is awful for a politician. You, you'll get shot every time, but, um, don't just count your blessings and, you know, inflation doesn't necessarily have a stop to it. Um, you know, we've just, in Iowa, we've just crested $4 a, a gas, uh, $4 a gallon gas. I know diesel is a, a good dollar higher than that. As those prices rise, it's going to affect the price of everything down the supply chain, food included. And so, you know, we all just kind of be thinking and saying our prayers and, and what's our life going to look like if gas gets to $7 a gallon? What's it going to look like if it gets to $9 a gallon or $12 well, a gallon? You, if you said gas was going to get to $7 a gallon, you'd have got kicked off of Facebook during the election. And that's that's been a real problem, I think, with the censorship and, the, you know, the, just the total lack of uh, even presenting an argument against what the... Well, the big is. thing is, is our opponents are dishonest. And I think what I've been trying to understand this whole energy economy and this whole climate change stuff, and it seems to be that there is a deliberate agenda that the idea is to make fossil fuels more expensive because that's the only thing that will lead to the adoption of these green new deal type technologies and these electric cars. And we see all these, you know, these charging stations being put in that nobody uses. Um, so I think there is, there is a segment of the country that when they see diesel going up and gas going up and people complaining, um, there is a segment of the country that's not sympathetic and that's by design. And even today I saw a local Fairfield, big liberal is like, Oh, if gas price is too high, you need to get a more efficient car, you know, now, yeah, but, but instead get, of opening up the pipeline and exploring exploration and getting energy cheap. But and, you can't get cars. If you wanted to buy... That's another have, huge problem. If you had the money to buy a brand new combine and you went to John Deere and you slapped the money down and said, I'll take a brand new combine, they'll say it'll be here in about four years. You know? Yeah, all oh, the lines are getting huge. But then the other big thing with inflation is so we printed all this money and a lot of Americans, I'm concerned, don't understand the Federal Reserve banking system and how all this money is loaned into existence. And it's kind of a big shell game by Wall Street bankers. I mean, even these carbon capture pipelines that they propose to come through. I mean, who's backing these things? They want to spend, you know, have you heard, been following these carbon capture projects? No, it's just there's so much bad stuff going on. I can't keep it. Well, so the idea is, in the most charitable sense, the world is moving. Again, these international, these Davos people, these... Um, Europeans, God, God knows who these people are. I'm not friends with these people, but they exist. They're moving the global economy to what they want, this net zero, carbon neutral type system. And so they want, the ethanol industry in Iowa sees that and they say, okay, we want to sell our products on this carbon, you know, carbon neutral system. So to make our pro to make our products more marketable for the Green New Deal economy that Biden and AOC and their Wall Street friends are building, uh, we are going to spend several billion dollars to build a pipeline that will capture the carbon dioxide emissions of the ethanol plants, transport them underground to a storage facility in another state for permanent storage, uh, and then sometimes oh you can maybe get some dry ice or maybe. There's not there's very limited industrial applications for liquid carbon dioxide, which is designated as a hazardous material. But the big thing is, is they want to use eminent domain. So, you know, some people think that this is so important. It's so important for us to limit the carbon 
uh, dioxide emissions of our pet industry that we want to confiscate property from landowners. And here, and that's the big thing is it really is theft. They're just taking, they're taking their, your property from you, using it for their purposes, giving you a pittance. If they wanted to have a fair negotiating stance, they could pay you a ongoing royalty for the use of your property. That would be a legitimate, a voluntary business transaction. They're not proposing that. They're saying the government's going to take your property away so the ethanol industry can adapt to the Green New Deal economy. That's the project uh, that Governor Branstad and my opponent support. Well, uh, another thing, uh, it's kind of a nationwide thing, but there's been some plane crashes into food processing. Oh, you heard about that. Some fires going on, and and you're not hearing about this on the news, but that seems like, uh, it seems uh, incredibly coincidental that two planes would crash into food processing plants and then all these fires that go on. So it's very strange. There's a lot of strange things being reported. I don't know any of the details on those particular instances. I do remember during the, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been hearing a lot more of these cyber attacks and how those can disrupt. Um, So here in Iowa, the biggest thing we've been privy to is some of our food processing, making sure their cybersecurity can stay online because if they're shut down, even for a day or two or God forbid a week or two, you know, I mean, we had to euthanize a lot of animals um, during the COVID pandemic because we didn't have processing space. And that is a sad thing that, should never happen again. Yeah, you got people starving in the world, and on yeah. one hand, and you're euthanizing cattle on the other hand because you can't process. Them. Well, now they're doing the whole coronavirus uh, charade to the chickens. So now they're euthanizing chickens for a potential avian flu exposure. Apparently, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I guess they're using this PCR test, and if they get a one of these chickens test positive for the avian flu, they'll put down the whole herd. And it's the federal government doing it, and the price of chicken breast um, went up 100 percent in the last couple months. Yeah, it's just, it, you just get kicked in the teeth every time you turn around. Beautiful thing, though, the uh, Orchelins in Mount Pleasant, uh, they're selling chickens over there for, uh, I think, the end of the week or next couple of weeks, they said. I thought that was really well, great. I think there's a time coming up shortly where they're going to pause to sell chickens. Who's that, the Orchelins or someone Well, else? not Orchelins, but I just thought they were going to take a month break from selling. I talked to a local guy that was... Over the avian flu deal? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of concerns. Again, it's one of these things is how... I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of way, this whole microbiology, trust the science stuff. I think, you know, the more we trust the science and the more they want to tell us that men can be women and men can get pregnant. And did you, did you see the Calvin Klein ad that just came out? No, I don't watch any television. Uh, well, I, I saw it on the internet, unfortunately. And it was um, a pregnant man is what uh, is now selling Calvin Klein underwear. Well, uh, it seemed like a niche market. <laughs> Well, let's shift back to let's shift back to the state district here. Tell That's me why, Mister Southeast Iowa. That was good. Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, tell Go me ahead. about why you, are you the right guy for yeah. this district, and what are the what are the challenges that you see that are important? So that's a fantastic question, David. Thanks for getting us back on track. Um, so I'm the I'm the I'm the Protect Freedom candidate for Iowa House District 87. This is Jeff Shipley speaking. Uh, my opponent is another young guy, Representative Joe Mitchell. Uh, I got nothing against the guy. We've done a lot of great things in the Republican caucus together. Um, But when it comes to a lot of the key issues, like I said, I was really out front. Um, And I had nurses come to me and say, hey, I watched your video from the Capitol in June of 2020. You tried to warn us. You saw all of this coming. And I didn't listen to you then. Um, But now thank you for being here when I need your support uh, and legal advocacy to keep my job. 
So, you know, with the COVID thing, I think that's the biggest thing. I protected freedom before it was popular. You said it yourself. The most important issue facing Iowans, it's always going to be our public schools. Um, our public schools is the largest portion of the state's budget. Our public schools is the centerpiece of the community that people depend on the most and provides the most services. And to their credit, there are a lot of people in our community that are underserved. I, I get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but it's how I see it. There are a lot of kids that aren't getting the love they need at home for whatever reason. And the public school is able to hopefully fill in that gap, which is very sad that, you know, getting your love from the government versus a mother and father or family, grandma, whatever. Um, so the public schools is a lot of money. The average per pupil spending, and that's all tax dollars. So it's uh, if you take the total budget and divide it by the number of pupils, you'll get about $18,000 annually per pupil in each school district. Now, I, I understand you said, I checked into it when I was in school, when Iowa was uh, a standard bearer of schools, it was $2,000 per student total. Well, so that might've been just the state cost per pupil portion. So uh, there's several finances. That you well, this to, was also the 1980s. Correct. So, but, but, so you have your local property piece, you have your local property tax piece, and then that's a big chunk of the funding. Then they get income tax revenue and then they get a big uh, uh, state appropriation from the general fund. And then we raise that every year in the state uh, supplemental aid. And you saw it too. You were there in the room in 2019 when I first took those votes against the school supplemental aid because I was very concerned about education issues. And you saw how the liberals lost their mind because they couldn't even fathom that. Oh, even right now, Governor Reynolds is doing such a great job addressing these problems. Uh, she's highlighting how the proficiency, how our students, when you just measure the performance, the, the numbers are, are, getting, are not going in the right direction. Um, the sad statistic that uh, we've compared about is less than 50% of Des Moines public school third graders can read at the benchmark proficiency. Now, Des Moines public schools was one of the absolute worst in how they traumatize and abuse their children through COVID. Um, so thankfully not every school district is that bad. The school districts that kept the kids in the classroom, the school districts that let kids uh, show their face and smile at one another, those schools performed a lot better, but there's a lot of serious issues in public education. And there's a lot of taxpayer money tied into that. The biggest thing, biggest thing, and this is absolutely the number one reason why I'm running for office and what I want to work with you, uh, especially on Dave is gender identity in public schools. So the big thing we've been dealing with these last couple months is in the Linmar School District. They have a policy now where once a student is in seventh grade, the seventh grader would have priority over their gender plan, gender preferences. It would be solely up to the seventh grader, uh, their name, their pronoun, what locker room, what restroom, what restroom, um, and make everyone has to agree that, okay, you're Stephanie now or whatever it is. So, and then the big thing is the school district would need permission from the kid prior to telling the parents. So it's a big, bright red line being crossed of the school district concealing information from parents. What do you think about that? Well, it's a lot to take in. Uh, you know, as far as the I, I, the thing, I really don't want them to talk about kids about sex when they're very young. You know what I mean? When I was in school, they didn't talk to us about sex at all until we were in seventh grade and it was just basic stuff. Like there's going to be some hair growing in your armpits yeah. and you're going to start to smell different and just basic biology. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of sexual curriculum, but um, not to get, I want to stay on this because I graduated high school in 2006. 
That's not that long ago. And in my high school, I never learned anything about asexuality, transgender, any of this stuff. I'm better off not knowing that in a lot of ways, I think, in my opinion. So um, a lot of things are being taught now that just don't make sense. There has been a lot of concern on the sexualization of curriculum and uh, pornographic depictions and literature and very sexually explicit themes. Um, there's been these really weird books about teenage prostitution and teenage drug use that somehow teachers are insisting have value, even though they're fictionalized accounts. Um, but the big I, I don't want to get too far off the gender identity topic. And I know it's uncomfortable for you, but um Parents must always be included in every decision. I was hoping you were going to say that it was crazy because the big thing is this mental illness discussion. Yeah. And this all started on the women's athletes bill. So the one good thing um, that we, we did get done is we protected women's sports. And we did that by removing the liability protections on school districts that would allow a boy to compete with girls in sports. So basically they would open themselves up to lawsuits if um, you know a boy took away a scholarship or something. But um, the problem is, if you're still teaching students that they can present and be whatever gender they want, and that they have to be affirmed and supported in that choice, um, then you're still creating a big, big problem, and this law is not going to hold. And you already have some school districts hinting that they're not going to obey by it. And you already have students staging walkouts, because somehow these 14, 15, 16-year-olds think that a confused young man has a legally entitled right to play track or volleyball against girls. And they don't because he's a boy. But the students don't understand that for some reason because they're being taught things that aren't true. Yeah, there's, there's sure been a lot of uh, crazy ideas put in their heads, I would have to say. Things that you just, uh, just a few years ago would just, most people just say it's just complete nonsense. But now it's like religious doctrine. Well, and then even something like the American flag. So I'm very, very concerned that uh, there is a group in Fairfield and they want to fly the pride flag on the flagpole in Fairfield for this next month. And no way we're ever going to let that happen. But the problem is, is the American flag is the symbol that includes everyone. Yeah, we are I would have thought that was the pride flag. Right. I'm, right. Well, because try that bull crap in Saudi Arabia and see how far you get. Right. Yeah. Right. So. America gives you the freedom to, to do that, to be yourself here. That American flag is inclusive. And if that American flag isn't inclusive enough, then learn a little bit about the world and how beautiful this country is. Well, if you were a slave in the 1800s and you saw a bunch of Union troops and you saw that American flag, that simply meant you were free. That's true. You know, so I think it should be their flag. It should be the gay's flag. It should be the... The Methodist flag should be the yeah. Jewish flag. Yeah. I mean, it should be everybody's flag. The Muslims can appreciate it. Uh, we have enjoyed so many blessings of liberty and peace and prosperity in America. I mean, America really is truly unique. And it goes back to the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. This is what we really need to uh, really instill in a young age is that there is a lot of beauty and wisdom in America's timeless traditions, especially that of liberty and freedom. Um but instead, in the Fairfield eighth grade, there they had a critical race theory text in violation of state law. So this is how impotent some of these state house Republicans are. Is we passed a law saying, "Hey, we don't want you teaching our kids that America is racist because we know if they believe America is racist, they're going to be more likely to to say nasty things about cops. And we well, don't want that." 
we're talking to Jeff Shipley, who's a, a House rep, who's uh, running again for in a in a contested Republican primary on June seventh. Jeff, uh, uh, how do people get to the polls? How do they? How can they vote for you? How can they uh, look you up on again one more time on the social media and stuff? Yeah, so uh, check in with your county uh, courthouse. Early voting starts on May eighteenth. Um, absentee ballot requests have been sent out to Republicans by the state party. Um, polling locations may have shifted a little bit um, with the new uh, maps. I know they did in, at least in Mount Pleasant, but um, we have that list of polling locations. We'll be going door to door to make sure you know exactly where to vote. Uh, send us a message on Facebook. Uh, my phone number is area code 319-432-3108. Uh, shoot me a text message and uh, definitely stay in touch. We'd love to earn your support. We'd love to have you be a part of the Protect Freedom Committee here in Southeast Iowa. Well, if you vote for Jeff Shipley, he'll he'll work hard for you. He'll be responsive to you. He'll give you time if you have a question to, to talk to him. Uh, been one of the hardest working guys up in, in Des Moines. Thank you for being on the program. we got one minute left. Is there any final message you want to put out there? Um, we just got to say our prayers. We're so fortunate. Um, I'm really afraid things might get a little bit worse before they get better. As people feel the financial squeeze of this Biden economy, um, just know that God loves you and there's never a shortage of resourcefulness. There's only, or there's only, there's never a shortage of resources. There's only a shortage of resourcefulness. So the more we can adapt and figure it out, the more powerful we're going to be food and energy, invest in food and energy. Well, the, uh, this has been round guy radio with news you can use. that won't get you the blues. Uh, thank you for being on the program, Jeff. Absolutely, Dave. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for being a patriot. Well, we, we want to talk to anybody that's running for office anywhere. We appreciate Jeff stopping by. Uh, We'd be happy if there's anybody else listening that's running for office, get a hold of me and we'll put you on the air. Thank you very much for your time. Welcome back to Round Guy Radio as we continue our coverage of the primaries coming up in June 7th. Uh, we're talking to Joe Mitchell, who's running uh, in the Republican primary for, I believe it's House Seat 87. Correct, correct. Dan, it's good, it's good to be on the show. Well, well, welcome to the program, Joe. Welcome to the program. Hey, well, it's good to be on here, Dave. Happy to be with Mr. Southeast Iowa. <laughs> well, uh, what's going on here in Southeast Iowa right now is the planning season. And uh, uh, how do you, you know, we got off to a kind of a slow start. And uh, I talked to some farmers a little worried, uh, you know, but it looked like the weather cleared up. Uh, how's the planting going? Well, most of the farmers I've talked to are starting to finish up here. Um, which is good. And I know, again, like you said, they got off to a slow start. We're actually back up here at the Capitol this week. And as you know, a lot of the members of our caucus are farmers. And so most of them have, have finished up their planting and they're you know, starting to spray the fields as well now. And, um, you know, but I think things are looking up. Things are looking positive, um, you know, but, you know, they, they can never predict the weather. But they um, but they're, you know, always hopeful and praying for, you know, for a good season and, um you know, I think we're doing everything we can we can from the state level, from a state policy perspective, to make sure that we have a uh, you know a good climate for agriculture in this state, and make sure that you know our farmers are taken care of, and that um, you know that we're making sure that they have as less of a burden as possible financially to make sure that they can continue to grow uh, food for everyone across the world and for livestock, and so you know that's where we are, and and. Um, you know, I, I think things are going well. Well, we had quite a bit of rain, and that was one of the, the reasons that pushed the planting season back. But I think we did need that rain, and I, uh, I'm hearing the water tables are pretty good. Are, are we out of the drought? 
Well, that, that's what I'm hearing as well. Uh, you know, I'm hearing similar things. And so, you know, again, I think that, you know, this isn't necessarily abnormal what we've seen. Um, you know, I think that we're, uh, we're going in a positive, you know, direction. And again, you can't predict the weather for the next, you know, four months, but, um, you know, again, we've done everything that we can for the, for the state, um, perspective to make sure that, you know, we're at, we're going to have a good, uh, good season and a good crop. Well, the, the corn is emerging and, uh, what I'm seeing looks, looks terrific. You know, it really looks like it's off to a good start. So, uh, you know, th- those are some issues, but we're going to have some, uh, uh, fertilizer issues. Uh, I know a lot of potash comes from, uh, Russia. Also, there's a lot of it yeah. in Canada. How, how, how is the fertilizer situation for your district looking? Well, like Dave, anything else, um, you know, everything's going up in price. It's going up in price because of the supply chain issues. And a lot of it is because that not only are we not energy independent, but we're also not independent um, you know, regarding to a lot of different products, including fertilizer. And so when you have the, you know, the conflict right now over in um, Ukraine with Russia, and, um, you know, essentially, you know, a war happening over there, you know, it's going to make it harder to get stuff shipped over here and to import goods um, like fertilizer that we need for our crops. And I know fertilizer, I've heard some estimates just went up by 50%. And so, you know, that's um, just not sustainable. Um, you know, myself, I'm in uh, real estate, uh, building homes. And so, you know, I know we're working on some of our development, you know, pricing for everything, including HVAC, uh, lumber, um, you know, PVC pipe, everything, copper, everything has went up exponentially in the last year, and uh, that's continued to go over to, to agriculture as well, um, specifically in the, the fertilizers that we need that we help to, you know, grow and, um, you know, be able to have a good crop every year. So, you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to federal issues that need to be worked out on the federal level from Congress and, and the executive branch, um, but also as a state, we can always make sure that we're pushing policy to as companies to be right here in Iowa to make some of these things. The problem is, though, is that a lot of the raw materials that we need are in a lot of these countries, like they're in Africa, right? They're in Russia, they're in China. And so, you know, when you're dealing with these raw materials that are only found in certain places around the globe, um, you know, that definitely ties our hands on what we can do here. But I think any way that you can expedite the process to make sure that we can keep production here in the state um, or even here in, uh, you know, at home in Iowa is the best way to do things. So, you know, we haven't had, a, you know, a real long conversation about, um, you know, long-term and how we fix the chain crisis because I just know that, you know, again, it's a, lot, a lot of that's a federal issue. It's been a lot of foreign policy you're dealing with, with as, you know, tariffs and trade and exports and imports. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think we have to be able to think outside the box and, and think about how we can spur economic development for companies here um, to be able to make a lot of these products in the state so we're not dependent on these different foreign powers. Yeah, I, I really think we could get back to, to take care of uh, our own needs here and uh, Stop depending so much well, on all these other countries to produce everything that we could easily produce here. And, and that's really where, you know, President Trump's message of America first came about, right? It came about because he said, why the hell are we always importing all these raw materials, all these different products from China and Russia and, you know, and these places in Africa that ultimately China owns? 
Um, and so ultimately, that's where the America First message came about is because President Trump said, let's make this stuff here. You know, why, why are we not making it here? And so he was able to prove over his, his you know, short four years of being president that, you know, we can bring manufacturing back. And Obama said that that's a, that's a long lost cause. We're not bringing manufacturing back. And President Trump proved it wrong, proved the analysis wrong, all the financial analysis, and, you know, essentially, you know, brought uh, companies back, brought industries back here to the U.S. And that's something that at the state level we can, can, can continue to push to incentivize folks to come back here to live and work and, and build their businesses and make their products um, so we're not as uh, dependent on you know, these foreign powers and these adversaries that we have that essentially control a lot of the raw product that we need. Well, before we go any further, maybe we better t- uh, tell our districts where uh, District 87 is and when the election is and how they can vote, maybe some social media or websites that they can check into your campaign. Yeah, of course. So currently right now, Dave, I represent District 84, which covers all of Henry Park County, uh, the eastern part of Jefferson, the southern part of Washington, the northern part of Lee County. So because of redistricting now, um, what I'm running for is District 87, which covers Mount Pleasant. That's where I live. Um, that's where my business is at as well. Um, so I live in Mount Pleasant and then Fairfield, Libertyville, and then Van Buren County. And so everyone can go to my website and check me out at www.joeforiowa.com. They can also visit my Facebook page, uh, Joe Mitchell for Iowa House. And so I encourage everyone to do that, to read up on me, get the, the correct information on the policy views that we have and what we stand for, what we stand on. Um, and so, you know, again, encourage everyone to do that. But that's what the new district looks like. So, uh you and Jeff Shipley got put into the same district. You're both uh, already at the state house. Uh, looks like the district's yeah. fairly evenly split, would you say, between uh, the amount of voters that your district covered and the amount of voters that his district covered? Yeah, it's fairly similar. Um, I would say it's probably 40% of my old district, 60% of Jeff's um, old district. And again, it was an unfortunate scenario. Um, you know, me and Jeff have been colleagues for the last four years and friends and you know, it's one of those things where I didn't want to move, he didn't want to move. And, um, you know, that happens when you're up here, you're in politics, which means that one person can win the race. And so, it, again, it's a, it was an unfortunate um, situation, but uh, we've both been campaigning really, really hard, I know. Um, and, and what I say to folks is, you know, 85% of the time we're going to vote on the same issues. And when you're talking about life, the Second Amendment, taxes, I mean, me and Jeff have uh, essentially the same philosophy on those sorts of things. Um, my three things that I would say are, are big differences between us, and I think Jeff would probably agree, is number one, um, on law enforcement issues, you know, he, he was one of very few people or maybe the only Republican not to vote for the Back to Blue legislation that we passed last year. And essentially what that bill did, Dave, is it gave qualified immunity to police officers and extended qualified immunity to law enforcement officers um, to be able to say, hey, if you're doing your job correctly and you're a good cop, you can't be sued. Um, wrongfully for, for doing your job and doing what you were trained to do and defending yourself. The second thing it did was give um, give a structure to be able to give a pay increase to sheriffs um, in the counties around the state that there was a pay inequity between police chiefs and sheriffs in some of these counties. And then the third thing it did was give increased penalties and fines to rioters that were going to loot and riot and destroy public or private property. And I'm proud to say I have the endorsement of all three sheriffs in each county, uh, Park Richmond, 
Dan Tetro and Rich McNamee. And so I'm happy to have all their endorsements and, and have their friendship, and they've all sent out a statement on behalf of me. But then the second thing is, we've talked about before agriculture. I've been named the friend of agriculture for Farm Bureau. Um, I've also been endorsed by Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nagg. And so agriculture's been um, a big thing for me. Obviously, it's a big thing for Southeast Iowa. I always make, want to make sure that we have the best climate possible to help our farmers out. And then the third thing is school funding. And so, you know, honestly, that's very local about the schools. Um, you know, I am as well. Uh, but when it comes down to rural public school funding, I'm never going to vote to defund public schools that are doing their job correctly. And that, you know, it's never vote to defund teachers that are doing their job the right way. Not bad, not bad actors, but, but good folks that are teaching your students that are, that are doing the right thing. You know, I'm from Southeast Iowa, Dave, from Wayland. Grew up in Wayland my whole life, went to Wayland High School. And, you know, I know the folks there doesn't do a really good job in, in down in Van Buren County as well. And so, you know, our philosophy on how education spending should be uh, spent is definitely a, a difference between us two. Uh, but I would say that, you know, folks in our our uh, you know, side of the state, Dave, they care about law enforcement, farmers, and teachers. Um, and they care about making sure their students get a good education. And so that's what we're running on. That's what we're running this campaign on. Uh, we're sticking to the basics. We're sticking to the things that I know. Um, that I've grown up my whole life in Southeast Iowa. And I know, um, you know all kinds of people. And that, those are the things that I know that they care about. And we're sticking to our message and our record. Well, uh, I was fortunate to attend a... Uh a debate between you and Jeff. And uh, I just wanted to commend you both on the tenor of that debate. It showed how to be, to disagree without being disagreeable. Nobody was grandstanding. Nobody was running over their time. When their time was up, you both ended. There was a, a point where Jeff's microphone didn't work and you shared your microphone with him. I mean, uh, you could tell both of you were fine men and both of you, you know, passionately represent their, uh, uh, constituents and uh and you know there's some differences between the two of you and you both were able to express that but it was uh it's just if the whole country could uh display the civility and the intelligence and the uh you know the passion that you guys both put out there was uh was uh, uh you know it was refreshing and almost uh, unheard of in, in today's time and i think you know I don't have a, a, I can't vote in it and I really don't have a dog in the hunt. And I just think you're both great guys. And I hope, you know, one of you will come on. I, I thought you and Jared Klein and Jeff were maybe the future of the Republican party. And uh, it looks like there will only be one man standing at the end of uh, this, unfortunately, but uh, you know, the, the best man will come out of it. Uh, how, how's the door knocking going? Uh, what are you, what are the issues that the voters are, are, are talking to you about? Yeah, of course. Well, Anyway, I think the door knock is going really well. Um, again, this is something I know me and Jeff are both out there knocking doors and trying to make our case known to the voters. Um, but number one, again, we talked about this earlier before you know we, we started the recording. You know, people care about their pocketbook. Uh, they care about making sure that they can provide for their family, um, that they can pay their mortgage, that they can you know save up money, send their kid to college, you know, to pay their their cell phone bills and their car payments. Um, and so, you know, folks are worried about inflation, and and, and let's not, um, you know, well, let's not skirt around the issue. Inflation is happening because of all of the money that the Biden administration has printed out of thin air. And so, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you put trillions and trillions of fake dollars into the economy? Eventually, it's going to come back to bite you. And that's exactly 
what's happened um, with inflation. And, you know, on the state level, Dave, we have to abide by a constitutional amendment that says we cannot spend more than we make. And it seems pretty common sense. And the Congress has been so inept, and they've tried to pass a constitutional amendment saying that they have to have a balanced budget every year, but they can't pass it because they're too afraid because they know that they'll never be able to not spend over their limits. And so, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now as a country. And Dave, my generation, my children, and their children will be paying off the national debt for tens of years, maybe even 100 years to come, if we keep spending at this rate. And it's completely scary and irresponsible what's been happening. Um, you know, it, somebody made a joke the other day that they're probably going to send out relief checks for the inflation crisis. You know what I mean? Um, and it wouldn't surprise me. And they can blame it on Russia, and they can blame it on Ukraine, but it is all ourselves that put ourselves in this in this boat. Um, you know, I think actually, I mean, President Trump did phenomenal things, um, greatest president in my lifetime by far. And but one of the mistakes he made was giving people checks for free for doing nothing, and that was it was funny. The year before Andrew Yang was was running, and he said, you know, we want to give everyone a thousand dollars every month, and I was like, that's completely crazy. That's socialism. And as soon as the pandemic hit, that's exactly what we did. Yeah. And so that's something that you know, it's hard to reverse that, that thinking, that philosophy. You know what I mean? Well, to be fair, that was Mitt Romney's idea. That's true. You're right. You're right. That was Mitt that Romney's was, idea. Was, it was, no, there was, it yeah. wasn't the Democrats didn't propose that. Mitt Romney proposed that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we're, but, you know, I mean, the thing about sending out relief checks for, Inflation when there's relief checks that cause the inflation is, uh, I guess, insane. I guess would be another way it to is. put it. I mean, it is insane, right? And, uh, but I, I mean, I don't know if our grandchildren are going to be paying off any of this stuff because if we can't get our act together in the next three years, we aren't going to have a country to, to even live in. I don't think, yeah, It'd just be a I know. And, that's why, and that's why, you know, that's why the, the midterms are so vitally important to us. Um, and making sure that Republicans can win back the House and Senate and Congress, um, because if we don't have checks and balances on this on this president right now, Dave, um, it's going to be a complete catastrophe. And it's been a complete mess already, but it's going to get worse. And people don't understand how worse it's going to get if we don't take back Congress. If we can have hearings, because there needs to be hearings right now on the corrupt things that are happening in the Biden administration and the in the foolish decisions that they're making. And so unless we have a Congress that can actually have your, and it also, like, there needs to be hearings on Hillary Clinton, right? We've seen the news lately. Now it comes out that her campaign orchestrated the whole entire Russian collusion. Yeah. There hasn't been a hearing on it. Yeah, I, they I've need known, to have her Congress. I've known that for five years, so that's not really news to me. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we just, I mean, I don't know. I'm really concerned about, you know, the supply chain problems because, it's not that there's there's a supply chain problem. It's there's no solution to the supply chain problem. I can't believe that if President Trump was still in there, that we'd still have supply chain problems. I mean, I think, yeah, we can have supply chain problems from other countries, but we could, you know, make things here and and uh, unload ships and things like that that we could do, and we could make it so that trucks that we could make more trucks come in there to to move freight. We can create, you know, we could surely surely produce more oil. Uh, to combat all, you know, the answer to the, to the oil shortage certainly isn't buying oil from Iran and Russia and places like that. 
Russia's I, I read that they're they're selling fifty percent more oil than they were before the the, the process. So it's no one's really yep. stopped buying yep. from them. Yeah, the American people are the ones getting ripped off, Dave. Let's remember that. And you know, it's complete. It's it, it's it's completely terrifying, and it's sad to see what's happening. And we got to make sure that we have checks and balances. Well, these young moms that are struggling to get baby food in a completely caused by the federal government uh, issue. There, I mean, that that's they did that completely. And they had no plan at yeah. all to uh, to do anything about it until it becomes a catastrophe, which it seems like, you know, there's, you always say, you know, we've got to keep our financial house in order, but then they say, oh, well, there was an emergency, you know? Well, there's an emergency, you know, every nine days in this country anymore, you know what I mean? That requires us to do something stupid financially, you know? And I mean, I, 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 wanted, I, I mean, I, I was in the army, we were, you know, Colin Powell was our commander. We were stationed right on the, the West German front. We confronted the Russian troops all the time, you know, and the, yeah. what I've seen happen with our military, you know, there, if we'd have just stationed, stationed some troops, you know, uh, near the border of the Ukraine, Russia would never even have went in in the first place. But we just, you know, yeah. and we just tell them, well, if it's a minor incursion, we won't do anything, you know. And what do you think they do? They come right in there and do it, you know, and they kind of created that problem. And I don't mind helping out, but we're literally sending them more of our tax dollars than Russia spends on their military entirely, you know, and we've got, you know, we've got a whole grocery cart full of, of problems here that we just, no solutions, no, no, nothing. I mean, I'm frustrated. Are the people you're talking to, are they as frustrated uh, with all this, you know? Hundred percent. I mean, again, the American people are fed up with being ripped off. They're fed up with being ripped off. They're fed up with paying higher prices at the grocery stores, paying higher prices at the gas tank. And it, let's not forget that inflation is a tax on you. Inflation, inflation is a tax on each every person across the United States. And who, who's it hurt the most, Dave? It hurts the poor working class people. If you're if you're wealthy. Oh, and an extra eight percent at the grocery store—that doesn't mean crap to you. You know what I mean? But if you're a poor working-class person, and this country just trying to make ends meet, you haven't gotten eight percent raise in the past year, but you've had to pay eight percent more at the grocery store and for everything that you pay for, putting your gas to get to and from work. And so that's the, you know, that's the issue at hand that we're dealing with. And the only people to blame is the Biden administration. I know. Well, we're paying three hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, uh month more per person just to buy yep. the same amount yep. of things we were buying before it's uh i i drive a, i drive a lot dave especially this campaign we're driving a lot and you know instead of paying 60 dollars of the gas tank to fill up my you know my uh you know dodge ram 1500 i'm paying 110 and mm -hmm. so you know i i and i'm seeing it myself you know what i mean and every single time i see that gas pump go past 100 i'm like it just makes me, it makes me angry, right? It makes me angry. It makes me want to put on one of the stickers on the gas pump that says Joe Biden did it, you know? You but, know um, <laughs> I just, I just was getting gas the other day and it was almost $70 to fill it up. And I looked over at the, uh, and I was feeling bad for myself. And then I looked over at the, the lady pumping gas with tears in her eyes next to me with the little baby in the back seat. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you yeah. know, how, how yeah. you know, I mean, it costs, you know, 
we've heard of people driving as much as three hours to get some baby formula. And baby formula is expensive. Holy cow. Well, I'll tell you a story of a baby formula. The other night, um, I was over at my friend's house, and they have a, they have a six-month-old. And the six, it was, it was, and, and her name is Celeste, um, cutest baby in the world, super, super chunky. I call her Chunky Cheeks. But anyway, so she was over there, and she was crying the whole time. And she normally doesn't cry a lot. And I said, what's going on with Celeste? And they said, well, because of the baby formula shortage, she, she doesn't get the formula that she was used to. And so now she's having a huge time trying to digest the formula that she's been um, having to drink. And you know, it's, she's had terrible stomach problems. And so she's been staying up all night. So these, these, my two friends, they're working class people. They have a six-month-old staying up all night. They're tired because of who? Because of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And the whole entire debacle with this baby formula. It's like, if we can't get baby formula to parents in the state, I mean, like, this is completely nuts. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, it, and obviously, moms know this. You know, after you go up for breastfeeding for six weeks, you can't go back. So they, they, are, they are forced to give them baby formula. And there's not baby formula on the shelves to give them. And so I, I couldn't um, imagine being a young um family right now and having a having an infant it'd be completely scary i would be i'd be so scared and so completely frustrated well we got about three or four minutes left i'm just gonna let you just whatever we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about just just take you know up to five minutes and uh, uh just let us hear what, what what's on your mind and what, what's your message yeah well dave again i appreciate you having me on the podcast today and you know i've had the pleasure of serving in leadership the last two years uh, in the Iowa House, and since I've been there, we've passed the largest tax cut in Iowa history, income tax cut, and starting next year, retirees, folks that pull from your 401k, your pension, uh, cash rent, um, you will no longer have to pay income taxes on uh, your income, uh, on your retirement income. So that was a fantastic bill you're to pass. Everyone else will be down to a 3.9% tax bracket, which is now going to be lower than many of our neighboring States. Now, South Dakota is zero percent. I want to get down there at some point, Dave. But that was an amazing bill that we passed. I was glad to have served on the Ways and Means Committee. They'll work on that bill to get that over the finish line. We also passed the biggest property tax relief bill in Iowa history just last year, um, taking the mental health levy off of property taxes, which is a huge win for farmers in our area. Uh, one of the biggest things they've worked on for the last decade. We were able to get it done um, under. Uh, the leadership and, and the leadership of the governor um, to be able to give much needed relief to our farmers and landowners um, around and across the state of Iowa. We're going to have the second amendment on the ballot this year to put the second amendment in the state's constitution uh, to make sure that our rights to uh, keep and bear arms are absolute. And so that will be something people will be able to vote on in 2022 and, and uh, the November election. Uh, we passed constitutional carry. Um, so we've done a lot of things, Dave. Uh, we've done a lot of amazing things. I'm very proud of what we've done in the legislature and um, happy uh, that I've been a part of it. And we're running this campaign on my record and the action we've been able to pass. Well, we've been talking to Joe Mitchell. We're running uh, District 87 on the Republican primary. Uh, he's the, the pride of Wayland, Iowa. Uh, we, we, did, uh, we do some episodes about cities, you know, we did Wayland and They've, people in town mentioned to us how, how proud they were of you and what a good job you were doing. And uh, 
uh, we'll keep up the good fight. I hope the listeners appreciate their opportunity to uh, hear from the voters or hear from the uh, the candidates. You know, I, I think the voters need to take the time to listen to the candidates and, and find out what's going on. Uh, we wish you really well. One more time, how, how could someone get a sign or support your campaign or follow you on social media? Yeah, well, Dave, if somebody wants to call me and get a sign, it's 319-461-9620. They can go to my email and email us at joeforiowa at gmail.com or they can go to our website at www.joeforiowa.com. Well, thanks for being on, on the program. This has been Round Guy Radio with a look at the uh, primary elections coming up June 7th. Uh, uh, thanks for listening. This has been Round Guy Radio with news you could use that won't give you the blues. Thanks for listening.